Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Mark Morano is unleashed and he's taking on the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, and the United Nations on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome to Unleashed on TNT. I'm your host, Mark Morano. Ladies and gentlemen, breaking news, never before seen videotape of Bill Gates talking as though he would without knowing he's on camera. This is Bill Gates unhinged, Bill Gates unfiltered, Bill Gates uncensored at the UN summit. Take a look at this. He talks about us as the peasants being forced to eat bugs under his plan. I present you, Bill Gates. I'm here in Dubai, and of course I flew in on my private jet. Uh, very, very important meeting. Uh, the issue of you peasants eating bugs uh, will be discussed at length. Uh, that's never gotten the attention it deserves. Um, the issue of COVID-19 not killing off enough poor people and my vaccines not weeding out the rest of you bastards, which is a tragedy, of course, We'll talk about using killer robots next. Um, Chat absolutely solved that problem. And there you have it. Bill Gates saying the quiet part out loud. I am stunned into silence. I'm speechless. Okay, that was an AI-generated version of Bill Gates, but damn if that wasn't just perfectly laid out of his stream of consciousness, what he would say if he said the quiet part out loud. I had to show you that. I just thought it was brilliant. He's talking about us peasants. We're eating bugs. He admits flying in on his private jet. Uh, it, it looked, it was pretty well done. So I just wanted to play that. And what's interesting is Bill Gates has been on interviews where he just said, I don't know why people don't like me. I don't, I don't understand it. You know, my parents like me. I don't, everyone, I don't understand. I'm doing, I'm a philanthropist. And of course, RFK Jr.'s book, where he lays it out perfectly. I haven't read the book, actually, the whole thing. I've seen excerpts and I've seen extensive interviews with RFK Jr. I have that book on my to-read to list. But he calls it philanthrocapitalism. In other words, Bill Gates was pretty much reviled. He was a monopolist with computer software, with Microsoft. He was known as the geeky nerd guy that uh, was basically crushing the competition. So he rebranded himself with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and decided he would give LA all of his money, right? Always beware of wealthy people saying they're giving away their fortune or they're doing. What he ends up doing is he's creating more and more business opportunities the more he gives money away. And by giving money away, he's given tens of millions to media outlets to give him positive. He gives money to governments to get his vaccines, trial tests, if you will, in places like India and Africa. He gives away money to have influence on things like the World Health Organization. So giving away his money somehow has led to him having a lot of power and somehow becoming even radically more wealthy. So, boy, I wish that was true. I mean, I wish I could go out and just start handing out money on the street, and my, you know, your your bank balance would increase. The more you, uh, the more you give away. Sorry, my earpiece keeps bothering me here. All right, this now the same concept though. What I was saying is, Bill Gates doesn't understand why anyone would be opposed to him, why there's any vitriol. Anthony Fauci is the same way. They're just sort of like, oh, these people, they they hate me. This is World Economic Forum President Klaus Schwab explaining 
uh, what he calls the anti-system movement. Uh, take a look at this. This is clip six. Klaus Schwab tries to spin why people don't, why people are opposed to his great reset agenda. You have this anti-system movement. What we are seeing is a revolution against the system. So fixing the present system is not enough. Now there is, of course. Okay, the whole clip wasn't there. Sorry about that. But he goes on and talks about the sort of libertarianism and this anti-system movement and how people are just opposed. Uh, and they don't really care who's opposed to the Great Reset. Bill Gates doesn't care. Anthony Fauci didn't care who was opposed to COVID lockdowns because they're using force. They're using corporate government collusion. They're using philantro capitalism, to use that word. And that's another thing. You got to be careful now with the word capitalist. Uh, not so much free market, but uh, entrepreneur, capitalist, because what's happened now is these terms have been co-opted. If you see the mainstream corporate media, they'll call uh, Bill Gates a capitalist. They'll call Klaus Schwab a capitalist. You know, I would call them more industrialists. I would call them monopolists. I would call them oligarchs, but I would not call them capitalists by the old definition. Uh, it depends. I mean, I guess it depends on your definition of capitalism. But the idea of someone for small, limited government, for free markets and minimum regulation on a society, uh, that is not, when they say the word capitalist, you know, in 1980, you would have thought, oh, that's Ronald Reagan. He's promoting capitalism. Well, now this whole game has changed terms, definitions, and on, on a couple levels, they don't care if we uh, oppose them because they will crush us. They have it now where they don't need the barbed wire fences. They don't need machine guns. You don't need a concentration camp. They can deplatform us. They're going with the digital currency, the central bank digital currency. We got the credit cards that monitor your carbon footprint. They have ways of canceling you and censoring you and silencing you. Uh, we saw that with the truckers in, in Canada. So they don't really care about opposition. So when they they more muse on it, like it's like a little side note entertaining uh, function for them. But what's incredible is the old definition of fascism or the classical definition was corporate government collusion, where the uh, government where the the government would essentially control corporations to the government. We're at a point, and I can't have it in my head what the other term is, another term where this is actually the corporations controlling government. And that's what we saw with Big Pharma during COVID, pushing these vaccine mandates. Uh, I got to show you that I've shown it, played it many times or several times on my weekend show, but now I have the Daily Show. I want to play that Woody Harrelson clip, uh, and I will get that. Uh, because I just think in the, the greatest, like less than one minute explanation of what the big pharma did during the lockdowns. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry the whole Klaus Schwab clip wasn't there, but I wanted to uh, just get that out to you. Now, the other thing is this is, I have a clip here, clip two, Ursula von, von der Leyen, the EU climate commissioner. Now, I actually met Ursula von der Leyen. Um, I met her in 2007 on a trip to Greenland. Yes, I've been to Greenland. Uh, and I went on a government junket. I was working for the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee and Senator Inhofe could not make the trip. And he actually, as his climate guy, he asked me to go in his stead. And when I say he asked me to go in his stead, I literally went representing Senator Inhofe with the other senators. And I was there with Senator uh, Barbara Boxer. I was there with Senator Ben Cardin. I was there with uh, the Michigan senators. I just missed Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was there. 
But we got treated and I was able to make presentation to the group. I ended up doing a huge report following the trip to Greenland uh, on our website where ABC News covered it. We had a press conference where uh, Barbara Boxer was asked about my contrarian report. They took me in boats. I got to go on helicopter rides out to the glaciers. Uh, and to make a long story short about Greenland, and we'll get to this clip about Vondeli and the EU climate crisis. She was then the Danish environmental minister in, in Denmark owns Greenland. And by the way, it wasn't such a crazy idea that Donald Trump wanted to buy Greenland from Denmark. Uh, because, hey, if global warming is really happening, there's going to be a lot of uh, thawing ice and a lot of mineral deposits and a lot of potential energy extraction we can get. It reminds me of the old uh, GOP congressman from Texas who said he loves Earth Day because you, you poke holes in the earth and out comes life-giving oil and coal and everything else. So on this trip to Greenland, uh, I, I was able to be the contrarian. I had heated debates with Barbara Boxer's uh, chief of staff on, I mean, not chief of staff, but her her climate guy, uh, who later became part of Obama's EPA. We ended up having debates. It was a great trip. Well, the, the European Commission uh, lady, uh, um, what's her name? Van, Van der Leyen. Uh, she was serving as the host country. And this was a pure propaganda trip from beginning to end. They had a UN scientist, Dr. Richard Alley. It was all about computer models and they all about erasing the past history. I pointed out peer reviewed studies from the 1930s, 40s showed that Greenland was as warm or warmer than current temperatures. We pointed out the Viking settlements in the medieval warm period uh, before Greenland got cold again. And that's why it was called Greenland, because they were trying to get people to leave Europe to immigrate there. And it was more of a marketing ploy, but it was also during that warming of the middle, middle medieval warm period. So this von der Leyen is just your typical EU bureaucrat. And I can't emphasize that enough. This is, this is the banality of evil, I guess you could say. They just want to regulate every aspect of your life. This is her talking, and it's a, a minute or so clip. The EU Climate Commissioner, uh, von der Leyen, praising and supporting net zero. She's going to talk about VAX pass, immigration, carbon allocation ID, carbon scores, CBDC. Uh, but it's all in this goal of net zero. So this is uh, the European Climate Commissioner, Ursula von, von der Leyen. Probably butchering her name, but let's watch this. Indeed, if we look back... A little over 50 years ago, the Club of Rome and a group of MIT researchers published the Limits of Growth report. It mapped the interaction between population growth, the economy, and the environment. And it came 50 years ago to a drastic conclusion. Stop economic and population growth, or else our planet will not cope. And as you know, this report has sparked a long controversy, for instance, about the role of new technology in the countering the climate change. But instead of prolonging these debates, I want today to concentrate on one point. And that is a point that the report got right beyond any doubt. And that is the clear message that a growth model centered on fossil fuels is simply obsolete. Frightening words. Heed what she's saying. She's literally saying that fossil fuels can't be part of our future, 
of the global future. And I will, instead of saying uh, fossil fuels can't be part, I will reverse that and say there is no growth with solar and wind and green energy. It is a permanent uh, uh, government mandated recession, economic degrowth, which is what this whole movement is about, is stripping away wealth, prosperity, opportunity, equalizing and putting the government in all control. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. She's looking at the world and this is what's driving every regulation, every policy. Uh, and it's happening here in the United States. There's a big story out and I got quoted. I was in, I was did interviews uh, for Breitbart and others that, that, that quoted this, but essentially uh, the Biden administration is trying to now regulate unelected dishwashers, washing machines. And there's a federal court ruling, the US District Court of Appeals has ruled it would place costly self-defeating regulations on American dishwashers and washing machines. In other words, they're zapping energy and water out of home appliances. Seems pretty benign in terms of the whole big picture of the great reset, net zero, but it matters. And a court has now stayed this, but it's not reversed by any stretch of the imagination. They're saying they don't have the regulating authority to do this. These are not laws, just keep in mind, these are not laws passed by Congress. These are unelected bureaucrats waking up every day, one day deciding to ban pizza ovens, the next day deciding to, be, to ban gas uh, ovens in your home, gas stoves, then go after washing machines and dishwashers. And the, the, the irony of this whole thing, if you have a dishwasher, you end up having to use more water to scrape off the plates. You have to sometimes run them twice. They don't clean the, the materials as much. Even consumer reports on washing machines, this was about 10 years ago or 55 years ago. They were looking back saying machines from 20 years ago outperform even the highest end models today in terms of cleaning because all of these home appliances need water and energy and the government is going after both and that's what they're trying to do to our economy as well it's a stranglehold on the economy and they use the climate scare well we've been featuring a climatologist uh, dr willie soon from the formerly of the harvard smithsonian institute this is clip one he's talking about the failure of lockdowns masks and vaccines uh and he really lays it out there so this is clip one dr willie soon it's just very sad to see that science is being trampled by all these other non-science forces, you know. That's why when I look at COVID also, I cannot stand by and say nothing. On COVID-19, there are so many things wrong with it. We want to provide the medical community or even the world to document this episode of dark ages in, in medical sciences. Something went terribly wrong. The mask never really worked. The vaccine never really worked. All of this doesn't work. The lockdown doesn't work. And what are we doing this? Now they are trying to scare with another news scare all over the world now. Newspaper. This morning, I just got one newspaper from my sister who has to start the, oh, they start masking up in Malaysia now because cases started to increase. <laughs> the usual story. I laugh in a serious way because I see this is another one of those attempts again to try to scare people. So I did digress now. Science is just so complicated now that every aspect of the science that I look at, I've become very unhappy. Science is no longer able to do where science lead. Very well said. And in my books, I always point back to Dwight David Eisenhower, farewell inaugural address as president in the United States in 1961, January, 
where he warns of the uh, you know the the government military industrial complex and scientific grants from the government taking over scientific curiosity and essentially creating a monster. We're there. We're not like, oh, that could, might, may happen. That's where we've been actually for decades, especially in big pharma, especially in climate. Uh, and this is the, the frightening result of everything we've witnessed, particularly since March, 2020 is the wake up call for any American, even half paying attention. Now, Jane Fonda, the Hollywood actress is in the news today. She wrote a huge piece for Time Magazine, a feature article saying, you can't have healthy people on a sick planet. And she says, I'm a cancer survivor. This is in Time Magazine, but also a climate activist. And I'm aware of the connection between environment and health and cancer. The, the, the uh, same fossil fuels that are driving the climate crisis are driving the health crisis. Now, let's just stop right there. World Health Organization says the U.S. is among the cleanest air in the world. We've shown that prosperity, free markets, and wealth create cleaner environments. We've radically improved in all the developing nations, our air quality, our water quality. And you can argue over parts per million, parts per billion little particles and set higher thresholds to diminishing and diminishing returns so they're not even measurable in terms of public health. For her to blame fossil fuels for driving a health crisis, especially in the year 2023, it's not 19, you know, 1910 in Pittsburgh. It's not 1970, the first Earth Day with the water and air quality and the, and the rust belts. We've come so far. And the things she's lacking, the thing Jane Fonda is missing, of course, is that fossil fuels have been one of the greatest liberators of mankind in the history of our planet. We've uh, fossil fuels have brought us an end to low life expectancy, to uh, end to infant mortality, high, high rates of infant mortality. They've given us modern dentistry, modern hospitals. They've cleaned up rivers, waters, and it's just incredible. This is a war for everything, everything about modern life, modernity. I never liked the word modernity, but that's really what this is about, and that's really what Jane Fonda um, is pushing here. And she just goes on and on um, about this whole thing. The, the, uh, she's trying to make it a chemical scare. And there's always areas, you know, you can worry about lead in uh, Detroit. You can worry about the East Palestine train wreck with the chemicals. It still never made sense. Like, oh, here's a train. It's, it's leaking and right here in this local water. So in the local land, let's go ahead and blow it up so we can throw it into the atmosphere and completely nuke the town. I just can't imagine looking back that that was any kind of good decision and it made no sense why they did it. But there's always going to be local uh, you know, public health threats, water, air. And I'm not arguing against that, but I'm saying the big picture here is radical improvements. And for Time Magazine and Jane Fonda to pretend that fossil fuels are killing people, uh, let's see a balance sheet on that, okay? You would see the world before fossil fuels, population the world after humanity has thrived with fossil fuels. And again, 100%, 99% death rate drop in the last 100 years with these fossil fuels. All right. So it's just, it's a crazy week. Happy to have this week, uh, you know, uh, with the news updates coming up. But I think you're going to love this next. We have Scott Wheeler, investigative journalist, joining us next. We're going to talk about domestic terrorism. We're going to talk about the Chinese threat. We're going to talk uh, all about what ails America or the Biden Justice Department, et cetera. So stay tuned. Investigative uh, journalist Scott Wheeler coming up. After, after this break on Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT. 
TNT Radio's Chris Smith. Despite being used to protect travellers from terrorists, hijackers or violent drunks or those who were drugged out as they board, and this has been going on since 1961, they won't be around this Thanksgiving. None of them. Air marshals were always meant to be invisible. Well, you can guarantee that this Thanksgiving. Ironically, the Biden administration has been hijacking air marshals for all kinds of other duties, leaving the passengers they were meant to guard and protect completely helpless. Air marshals have been lumbered with assisting the chaos on the southern border. They might be called air marshals, but an unknown number are now seconded to work on the ground. Maybe they're ground marshals now, marshalling illegal immigrants on the border and doing the job supposedly meant for the United States Customs and Border Protection. Where are they? Chris Smith on TNT Radio. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40. California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a thousand dollar a day fine. Government stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%, near 99.8% survival, rather than the 3 or 4% mortality that the, the people were saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. You have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them, this is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. You got this. You're there for them. 
We are here for you. Find free care guides at aarp.org caregiving. Even the thought of dementia can feel scary. It's why we put off getting help, even though we've noticed changes in our thinking or memory. But an early diagnosis can change everything, giving you medical help and a support system around you to help you live better. Start with Dementia Australia's online checklist. Because the sooner you know, the more you can do. Are you sitting comfortably? Oh, yes, yes. Then I'll begin. Even when you're just sitting around, we're rocking the talk. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano. I believe I'm back. Uh, I'm now joined by investigative journalist, my old friend, Scott Wheeler, and you may recognize or recognize his voice anyway for former TNT radio host or did a weekend show. Scott, welcome to Unleashed with Mark Morano. Hey, that's a great name for you too, Unleashed, because <laughs> you're, unafra- you're unafraid of anything out there. You're willing to say what no one else will. Uh, that's great. All right. Well, thanks. Well, Scott, we, we go back a long way just so the audience says we met each other back in the 1990s during the Clinton administration. We were working for then uh, it was, I guess it was National Empowerment Television, which later became America's Voice, was founded by uh, Free Congress Foundation Paul Wyrick. We worked on a show called American Investigator AI, which now has a new meaning, of course, uh, with all the Bill Gates funded and <laughs> stuff with yeah. c- c- robots. But our show, American Investigator, truly, truly was a, a, ahead of its time. Uh, and I'd say both environmentally, national security. I don't know if any reporter anywhere that was on the China beat like you were back in the 1990s, going after the Clinton administration, going after their uh, that selling the technology to China and, and back and forth and all the corruption involved. First of all, just tell us a little bit about American Investigator, the TV show, how we met, and also then talk about some of your biggest stories at that time, especially relating to the China and the Clinton administration. Well, I knew who you were before we we actually met because your work on Rush Limbaugh's television show. And I oh, always yeah. said, I, I'm going to meet this guy one of these days because we, we <laughs> were bound to cross paths. And then we ended up working through, talk about serendipity, uh, we, how we ended up working together at American Investigator was, was uh, very uh, interesting, uh, probably a story for another day. But uh, Brought together by a guy named Ethan Gutman, who's now a, yes. an author in his own right. But uh, we did, at that time, we were so fortunate to be able to do whatever we wanted. We sat in our little office back there smoking cigars and hatched whatever investigation we wanted. And yes. the uh, executive producer, Paul Weirich, just let us go. And we did some some pretty amazing work in those days. I've, uh, recently, I was talking to Peter Schweitzer, the author, and he had made comments about the the groundbreaking work we were doing at, the, at back then. And uh, so you you were on the environmental and extremist beat, and uh, I was doing China national security stuff, and it just made for a great uh, uh, synergy of interested. In, topics that people wanted to know about and at that time there was you know the internet was just slowly catching on and uh, we were were doing this on tv it was like a conservative version of pbs and yeah uh, we, we made a lot of progress great description i remember 
you know, you jetting off uh, to Europe for undercover arms uh, negotiations. You're trying to you know, catch people trying to sell illegal arms. I remember, uh, you know, going and coming up with the idea, as you mentioned, smoking cigars. You could smoke inside, by the way. This was the 1990s in D.C. Uh, and the Free Congress Foundation had a, a smoking indoor policy, which I, I don't think you can find that anywhere other than a tobacco lounges this day and age. But I remember we were heading down to the Brazil uh, multiple times and you actually um, were looking even at a, a, some kind of law enforcement angle down there as well. But we did an Amazon whole documentary there, flew all throughout the country, spent some time in Rio and Manaus. Uh, and it was just it was an incredible time because no one was on our beat, really. I mean, you had competitors, but you were crushing them. Even people at the Washington Times, you were crushing any reporting at that time they were doing on Clinton. And an environmentalism, there was really, there really wasn't much anyone else doing the stuff we were doing. And it was an incredible environment, atmosphere. And then, of course, we ended up working together later at Cybercast News Service for a while. And then you re-enlisted in the Army uh, after 9-11, uh, a few years after, uh, when we had Iraq. For Iraq, and you re-enlisted in the army, uh, and now, of course, you run GOP Trust. But tell us, um, well, I, I don't actually run GOP Trust anymore. But oh, well, uh, you, yeah, found it. To, yeah. Went back to investigative journalism after after a little while at the GOP Trust. Okay, but uh, go, I'm sorry. Go ahead with your question. Well, back in the '90s, you know, we had uh, the all these players like Charlie Tree and, and the Clinton administration and the selling of this high technology and the transfer of high technology, I should say. How has that, back then China was, very few people even saw it as an emerging threat at all. And you were ahead of your time. How have things changed? First of all, in a few, describe what the Clinton administration specifically was involved with in China with technology transfer. And then how did that help China? And then how has China evolved now? It seems as though, I, I, yesterday, I don't know if you saw this story, but. China is passing Japan, South Korea, United States, and becoming the global auto exporter, all because the West is banning gas-powered cars. So we're helping them. They're, they're now the number one CO2 emitter. They're going on the number one, uh, almost you know, the number one economy. They're growing. They're pushing this whole green agenda. They seem to have, they're buying up U.S. farmland. The article in Politico worried about them having a Chinese agricultural land monopoly. They're buying up land near U.S. Um, uh, military installations in different states around the country. What is going on here with China? What did you see in the 90s that everyone else missed? And how have they just exponentially grown as a threat to the United States. So that's a huge question with like 18 subparts, but go ahead, you can take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could boil it down to its simplest terms in looking at the 1992 election between Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush. And during that time, Bill Clinton was calling the, referring to the Chinese leadership as the butchers of Beijing. That's a direct yes. quote. Remember uh, that. The butchers of Beijing. And he accused H.W. Bush of coddling uh, the rulers of, of China. And while he was doing that, he had his man, Charles, Charles Yaolin, Charlie Tree, on the ground talking to Chinese leaders, telling them that Bill Clinton will be very sympathetic to their cause. And immediately after taking office, Bill Clinton decontrolled. Uh, well, the first thing he did was disassemble a, a, a organization called COCOM, or it was a coordinating committee which control with our allies, we agreed to control the spread of, of 
dangerous dual-use technologies to China. And Clinton de destroyed COCOM, and then he began decontrolling strategic weapons technology and high-tech uh, security uh, uh, intel to China while China was making millions of dollars in illegal donations to his campaign. And they had they had donated at least a million dollars illegally through a an Indonesian bank in 92 to his campaign. But then they stepped up between 92 and 96 and put millions of illegal donations. And we know this because the DNC had to give some of that money back. I think they popped to four million dollars in illegal donations from China and gave that money back. But all the while, Clinton was decontrolling uh stuff like uh, cryptographic technology. He was decontrolling the, the tech, uh, missile guidance systems. Uh, at the, in 1994, we interviewed, uh, American investigator um, interviewed a, uh, I'm sorry, 1996, we interviewed a senior sinologist named Nicholas Eftimiades uh, for the U.S. Department of Defense Intelligence. And he said that China had espionage operations using commercial fronts uh, to the United States, but he said they had he said they had a little more than a junkyard army at that time. In in 1994, by the end of 2000, when when uh, Clinton left office, they had a an extremely sophisticated military operation, a lot of uh, most of which was stolen technology from the United States that included stealth technology, how to detect, they created a bi-statics uh, radar system to defeat our stealth aircraft. And they used it in Yugoslavia in 1999 and shot down an F-117 uh, stealth Nighthawk uh, fighter jet, a stealth fighter of the United States shot it down. It had been completely a secret, but it, as you know, I was there on the ground when it happened and took, uh, uh, did a lot of interviews. Uh, actually, I think I got there just after it happened, took a lot of interviews and discovered that this was, the Serbs did not have the technology to shoot down a stealth air, aircraft. And they did it using this bi-static radar system. And it was all due to elements of exotic materials that US, United States military developed and China either stole or it was decontrolled to them by Bill Clinton. And so when in 2016, when the Democrats started screaming about uh, uh, Russia, yeah. Trump, Russia collusion, I said, my gosh, we've got congressional records of real collusion between Clinton and uh, and China and the Democrats defended this. They they ran interference for every congressional investigation of that, and including the FBI's investigation run by Louis Free, a Clinton handpicked Clinton appointee. So to boil so, this down, though, this was a quid pro quo. I mean, Clinton uh, essentially allowed this technology transfer all just for campaign donations. Is that at the root of it, or is there more to that story? Well, it was part of the Clinton mind, and when I say the mind, I mean of the Clinton administration, that the United States, we, the Cold War had just ended and the United States was emerging as the lone global power. They seemed to have a mindset, and somewhere there is evidence of Madeleine Albright, who became Clinton's Secretary of State, who said 
that uh, the United States does not have the moral authority to be the world's lone superpower. And therefore, they could justify distributing our military advantage to a country like China. But the real irony was I was sitting in Hong Kong with a, a, a with the one of the governors of Hong Kong named Emily Lau sitting across the table from her the day Madeleine Albright was uh, confirmed as uh, the Clinton uh, Secretary of State and in and she pulls her speech and hands it to me and in that speech Albright said relations with China will not be held hostage to any one issue including human rights and the future of Hong Kong that was, it was right before the handover in 1997. And it was so striking because Clinton had run in 92 on human rights in China and the media yeah. probably made it about the third biggest item in the campaign of 92 and probably helped put Clinton over the top with regard to wow. Bush. It's well, since that, stuff. Yeah, and I'm since sorry, that time, how has China, how did China, it just seems as though we've gutted our industrial base We've transferred all of this technology. We've transferred all of our economic, uh, our jobs and our base over to Chinese factories, especially through the green agenda. Where is China now, 30 years later from when you originally did these stories? I mean, they seem incredibly well positioned to be the world's lone superpower if you do the projections out in the future. Uh, How how do we stop China? First of all, how do you see China today as as a threat to the US and how do we stop this at this point? It just seems like we shoot ourselves in the foot every net zero climate conference we go to. I mean, that's just one aspect, of course, how we shoot ourselves in the foot with China. Well, they've never stopped influencing elections. They continue to put money and and we're seeing this with the Biden administration uh, that Biden was the beneficiary of of Chinese money through his family. And uh, he was paid nearly a million dollars a year by uh, a a university in Pennsylvania that was the recipient of millions from China uh, to do nothing. Basically, he was like some kind of adjunct professor, he claims he didn't really teach anything, but he got a lot of money for it. And so they have continued to influence U.S. elections to their advantage. And of course, the Democrat Party is their favored party. There was a time when they actually liked Republicans, too. Uh, But uh, once Republicans caught the national security, probably due to some of our work, realized that China was a military threat to not only the world, but to not only to the Pacific Rim, but also to us in the West, they hopped off immediately and became China hawks. We've seen so many of these guys who were pro-China back in the late 90s turn around and write books about how dangerous China is. And I I just think, gosh, they should they, they should go back and watch American Investigator in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. We're pegging yeah. us all the way, including the exotic materials. As you know, we both one of the reports, uh, uh, Desert Stormtroopers, where you and I teamed up and it was just yes. a, a, an amazing uh, amazing documentary uh, called Desert Stormtroopers. You could probably find it online, even. Um, and uh, if you want, I, I want to show clips of that. You, yeah, yeah I'd like to show clips. I can website. show that on the show. I'd like to do that. I'd like to show it on the show here. It's been fun uh, uh, showing. I've been showing some old clips, uh, but yeah, uh, that's another one. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, the Ouija coup of the uh, Chinese Bantam Rare Earth. If I got that right, tell us the about Democrats. that because that was happening in the nineties. 
it happening in the 90s. In 1997, the, there was one mine that supplied nearly the entire world's lanthanides, and it was in the Mojave Desert in western, eastern California. And uh, for specious environmental claims of a freshwater spill in the desert, the mine was shut down by Democrats. It was the Clinton administration at the time. Well, we, you and I went out there and we started investigating. You made the, the uh, government, uh, the 27 or 28 government agencies, the yes. people that interviewed with us, you made them look like fools and uh, because they had no response to all, any of our questions. They finally admitted that, yeah, it was a freshwater spill and there was really no hazard, even though they were wearing their chemical suits and everything. <laughs> but we, we later, we started looking and we found a guy named Weiji Ku who represented China's Bao Tu Rare Earth Mine. And he had op just opened a shop up in San Francisco. So we flew up and met with him and uh, he agreed to an interview and it was remarkable. He said he thinks Molly is going out of business and his, his boss, the Chinese government, was ready to take over the world's lanthanides. Well, it was only probably three years later that the Baotu Rare Earth Mine became the leading producer of exotic materials. And those exotic materials are used in every modern high-tech high tech weapon system and in the computer technology of uh, electric vehicle technology, all of this is now coming from China. And uh, it, it was amazing. Uh, and I remember at the time, 1999, um, a, a friend whose name I can't mention uh, came to me and he said, we should buy that Molly Core mine in, in California because the Chinese are gonna take over and lanthanides are gonna be a lot more expensive. We could not raise $13 million to buy the mine. We could have bought it from Unical for 13 million and reopened it. And just six years later, it was worth a billion dollars. It would have been a, a tremendous investment, but didn't happen. So, but uh, your work in um, the, uh, uh, on the environmental side of it was, we just had this duality there that was showing uh, that uh, the, the foreign countries were manipulating our environmentalists. They were manipulating them to become yes. activists for environmentalism. And we were, um, uh, we, and then we saw the national security implications of it. And it looks like it's still going the same way. It's like we haven't learned anything. Yeah, there's reports of Russian money going to environmental groups, Chinese money. And of course, this agenda only benefits China because they have a monopoly on all the rare earths now. They're uh, they're passing up. They're the number one automakers. They're, they're heading in that direction. They supply 80, 90 percent of the world's of the U.S. solar panels. I mean, it's incredible how they've come away. We have to take a break. This is Unleashed with Mark Moreno. We are talking with Scott Wheeler. We're going to talk about him going undercover. And we're also going to uh, talk about the presidential race when we come back. Stay tuned. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. 
we ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife. With big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love, and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters, and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. From wars to censorship to cultural issues, you're with Mark Morano and Unleashed on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Unleashed with Mark Morano. All right, we're continuing here with investigative journalist Scott Wheeler. Scott, I understand you've been undercover recently uh, doing some work about in investigative work about Antifa, which Antifa sounds fine. They're anti-fascist. Aren't we all against fascists? Uh, what, what's wrong with an anti-fascist organization like Antifa? And what exactly were you investigating and what did you what did you find? Well, it kind of started that with the there's a there were crisis after the Dobbs decision leaked, which made uh, made yeah. abortion at the state level the decisions for abortion at the state level no, no longer constitutional protection. Uh, these crisis pregnancy centers around the country began getting bombed, firebombed, and blown up and destroyed and. Um, get attacked with graffiti and things like that. There have been hundreds of them. And the FBI wasn't really doing anything about it. So uh, some guys called me and said, would you look into this? So I started looking into it immediately. I said, this is Antifa. The The group was that was signing to the attacks were was called Jane's Revenge, but it, it, it was a pretty paper thin uh, a difference between Jane's Revenge and Antifa. And it turns out Antifa was promoting this and were trying to radicalize women who were concerned about abortion to make them part of the one of the tentacles in their uh, national and somewhat global attempt to destroy Western civilization and Judeo-Christian values, which is their objective. Wow. And so... 
did you you actually went uh what what part did you, how, how did your investigation go like how did you how did you go about conducting it and uh when can when tell us a little bit about the undercover aspects well we went to, and just uh, i i don't want to give too much away about how sure. we went because we're going to do some more that way but uh created a legend and just rode with some of these guys and to, you know, got information, saw who they were, got their thoughts. It was pretty illuminating in some ways yeah. because you'd think there's some kind of sophistication to this group. It's basically a Democrat Party militia, which is why you see <laughs> yeah. the, the, the the Justice Department not bringing charges against dangerous terrorists, domestic terrorists, and creating charges to go after um uh, conservatives who protested on January 6th. But we've seen this around the country. The FBI and the Justice Department is not, is very rarely do they prosecute one of these cases where the, where they, these guys, Antifa, James Revenge, committed domestic terrorist acts by blowing up, you know, lighting a fire and burning, attempting to burn down these clinics and uh, throwing uh, Molotov cocktails. Uh, through the windows and uh, especially at night and with no real intense investigation of this, they're allowed to go. And it's uh, similar to some of the same people we saw it uh, form that uh, uh, independent uh, group they tried to do up in Seattle, the Chaz or something. Chaz and Chop. Chop. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were they basically that was really an insurrection that was de declaring themselves an independent self-governing nation. Okay. It fell, the only reason it fell apart, it wasn't because the authorities broke it up. It's because they ran out of food and realized, <laughs> you know, that food doesn't grow in a week or two. And so uh, there's a lot of bad stuff going on there. And uh, we are finding that there are, you wonder how these kids, college students get radicalized a lot, there's a lot of Antifa in the colleges and universities, including prestigious Ivy League universities, actually have uh, assistant professors who are Antifa. And we're wow. going to be bringing that out in a documentary pretty soon that will show who these people are, name them by name, and show what they're doing and what their beliefs are. Wow. Well, um, uh, the other side, the, the corrupt ju Justice Department might argue, not the Justice, but the FBI would argue that the Republican Party militia are those groups of people that we're going to assassinate, attempt to assassinate Gretchen Whitmer, the Michigan governor. I mean, talk a little bit about just overall the corruption of this, of our entire, I would say, intelligence. We have our intelligence departments now involved with Twitter Facebook, social media issuing censorship. You have the Justice Department selecting. You have the January 6th prosecution. You have that whole entrapment with Gretchen Whitmer. What's going on here? And what's the history of this? Is this just relatively new? Did it begin with Obama? Did it begin in Clinton? Did it begin Jimmy Carter? When, when did this happen? It started under Clinton and it got to it and it slowly moved. You saw how uh, a, uh, w. Bush, the president from 2001 to 2009, they got in his way and interfered and they they did exposed embarrassing incidences that would have normally been kept under wraps because it exposed soldiers and intelligence officials yes. undercover. But they exposed it. And uh, you saw the Democrats, Pelosi, Harry Reid at the time, who was still alive then, and others, Dick Durbin, undermining our 
military operations and fighting the global war on terror. Well, then Obama comes into office in 09 and he accelerated this process, putting promoting uh, what we, we used to call them the Clinton generals. Uh, they were people who made rank quickly uh, to high and were then loyal to the Democrat Party. Right. And we, we've seen this in the FBI, guys getting sent to the field office to uh, sort of uh, mature them there so they can get sent to the FBI headquarters down the street and promoted into high positions. And that's where you see things like this Operation Crossfire Hurricane. Anybody who, who would, like us, looking at this up close, knew that for eight years, Obama colluded with Putin and Russia. And in 2012, he was caught on a hot mic saying, "Tell, telling uh, um, Medvedev, tell Vlad I'll be more flexible after the election. We have testimony of James Clapper, his own director of central intelligence saying, or director of national intelligence saying, telling Congress that Putin interfered in the 2012 election. That's collusion. You've got evidence to make that case. You could actually prosecute Obama for collusion. But there was nothing done about it. And Republicans, because they're the stupid party, uh, <laughs> never held hearings. There were people at the time, myself and others, that were writing, Frank Gaffney, who were writing that Obama was giving genuflecting to Putin and uh, nobody was doing anything about it. And uh, and then you turn around in 2016, the Democrats just up and said, oh, Putin and Trump know each other. Therefore, uh, they've got an unholy alliance. And this is treason, basically, is what they said. Some of them actually said the word treason. It's the most bizarre thing. If we weren't living through it, I would have a hard time believing it. Yeah. All right. Well, we only have about a minute and a half left or maybe a minute. Just we have the New Hampshire, Iowa caucus, New Hampshire primary. What's your evaluation of this whole presidential field? Will Joe Biden be the nominee or is Gavin Newsom going to come in? And is Donald Trump going to be running from a prison cell? How do you evaluate all this quickly? <laughs> Trump could very well be running from a jail cell because he can't. Uh, if, if they convict him in Georgia or if they convict him in Washington, D.C., which is sure to happen, there won't be time for an appeals process. And the Democrats knew that by targeting Trump, that he would, uh, that they would make, elevate him to some kind of martyr status and make him much more popular. So they did it. And unfortunately, Trump is unable to make arguments, formulate arguments in his own defense and explain to people what is going on here. He just keeps using yeah. the same tropes russia 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 and witch, yeah. witch hunt and those aren't very effective all right well thank you this is investigative journalist scott wheeler thanks for joining the program good to see you this has been unleashed with Great mark morano all right see you next time thanks